I want to make the most of this precious time and begin with a very familiar verse in John 7 where we read that in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood, and you remember here, he cried out loud, saying, any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And then he declared that if we believe on him, as the scriptures said, from within him to flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. This portion has meant a lot to me in the past by reason of uh, an experience of my own. And I want to point out tonight that uh, Jesus was at a very important religious holiday. Let's get the background of this, the Feast of Tabernacles. They were commemorating their deliverance. Israel was, those that were there, a great crowd. Their deliverance in the wilderness, water from the rock a long, long time ago. The priest would fill the pitcher with water from the food of Siloam. And then they'd all march down the street singing, and he'd pour out that water at the temple. And everybody would sing, Therefore with joy shall we draw water from the wells of salvation. And they had such a hilarious time that somebody said, Whoever has not witnessed it has never seen real rejoicing. That's a good deal to say. They had an unusual visitor this time the Son of God himself. And he wasn't too much impressed as he looked on, watched this celebration. And uh, he saw the jubilant multitude and all their ecstasy. And uh, yet, in spite of all that, he stood and cried aloud. Now, that wasn't the way he usually spoke. The Bible says his voice was not heard in the street. He, wasn't, he didn't cry aloud much in his statement. They do know that he cried aloud on the cross, my God, my God, why? But here, uh, as he watched this celebration, he must have been struck with the futility of the whole business because although everybody was hilarious, they went home with the same old heartaches, same old disappointments. Somehow it wasn't working. And it's a perfect picture of... Uh, how it is with us today and the failure of the law as represented here by the priest to meet the problem either, that didn't do it. Just the ceremony was all they had. The living faith of the dead had become the dead faith of the living has happened so often and has in these the last few years pretty generally. And it symbolized the failure of the waters of this world to meet the need of the human heart and sometimes they may make a great ado in their celebration, but yet the trouble is so many have forsaken the fountain of living waters and have hewn out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. So that's not the main point in, in this picture. And on this occasion he stood, and he stands today, crying out to a lost, tired old world, thirsty and hungry for a great many things, but not much for the Lord thirsty for all its scientific advantages and its expertise and its new, its know-how, dying of soul starvation. And in the midst of all this uh, excitement that they can stir up sometimes, 
lashing themselves to death to try to forget their troubles, empty pitchers of Siloam that can hold no water, worked up ecstasies of all kinds, psychic cures, and in the midst of it all stands the Son of God saying, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the water. That's Isaiah, but I'm sure my Lord must have said it too, whosoever will. Let him come and drink of the water of life freely. But that's still not the main thing about this picture here. And I'm not thinking now of Christ's call to a lost world, as important as that is. I'm thinking rather of the application of this to a Laodicean church, whose daily experience is more like this. They put on big things these days. Mind you, this crowd wasn't uh, uh, out at uh, some kind of a party. They weren't at a circus. They weren't at Vanity Fair. They were having a religious observance. This was the event of the year. And it commemorated a time when Almighty God had intervened in human affairs with the chosen people of Israel. The professing church today is great at putting on things just like this. We try to commemorate these busy days of the past, great days, glorious days, but we don't duplicate them. The experience has become a performance. Uh, we say what we need is revival. I, sometimes I wonder whether God ever intended that we should have to have revival. I don't think he did. I think that's something we thought of. We shouldn't have to have revival. Get me right now. We need them, but we shouldn't have to have them. Because if we walked in the light, as we ought to, and grew in grace, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, it ought to get gooder and gooder all the way along. And, uh, but we seem to have the idea that every time springtime rolls around, the preachers always wax revival-minded. Now, this is springtime, so this is revival time. Any time's revival time, as far as that goes. But uh, the birds are singing, the flowers are blooming, and so this is the time for revival. But revivals are not seasonal, they're meant to be perennial. And what we need today is not revival, but just Bible. Now, there is no such word, but when I can't find the word I need, I make one. I got as much right as anybody else make a word if I want to. Every word in there is made by somebody. And what we need today is Bible, just New Testament Christianity, same old thing from the beginning, just Bible. And uh, somehow we think that it's going to turn out well if uh, they used to, when I was a boy starting out, calling me, can you come and hold a revival? I said, my soul, we don't need anybody to hold one. We need somebody to turn one loose. <laughs> come and hold <laughs> Whoever started that out. Anyhow. Well, we're commemorating today. All the denominations are doing it. I don't know of one that's not doing it. It's all right. It's, it's accomplished the purpose. But uh, Ephesus has left its first love and Pergamon and Thyatira uh, interested in Balaam and Jezebel and Sardis has a name to be alive and he's dead. You know, they, they didn't even know they were dead, but Jesus did. Now, an undertaker or a mortician can make a dead man look better than he ever looked while he's living. And some of these uh, experts in the religious world can doctor up things and make, make it look a little better. And the Lord knows the difference, however. And then the Laodiceans either cold or hot but lukewarm. Barnhouse used to say, and he does still in his wonderful books and, and Revelation, that the trouble over there lay at his head was, of course, that, and he said Jesus preferred 
a cold church to a warm church. Did you know that? He said, I'd rather you be cold or boiling, which is what zealous means. But I don't want you to be lukewarm, neither cold nor hot. Make me sick, he said. About to spew you out of my mouth. Now, that's not an elegant phrase. <laughs> but you know what he's talking about. He was nauseated by church like that. Barnhouse said that a man can get so cold that he'll hunt a fire. But if he's lukewarm, he's comfortable. You never have a revival in a comfortable church. Never in this world. I see some of the saints out there in their uh, serenity, you know. And I feel like, Lord, is any way you can help me break up this thing here? This serenity, but it's too serene to have a revival. Um, we put on all these demonstrations. Now, this crowd in John 7, uh, they weren't watching TV. Uh, they were at a religious meeting. But to the eye of Jesus, it was a form without force. And he sees this play acting today when he condemned uh, Capernaum. Uh, he had just talked about playing in the marketplace. He said, you're like children playing wedding and playing uh, funeral. And we're playing church today. We act our part, but it's not real. He sees the play acting, make-believe, with the uh, uh, pictures of water from the pool of Siloam. Some years ago, I went to Dallas for some meetings, and I'd spoken over at the Southwestern Seminary, and all the time getting ready to go to that trip, I found myself preparing a message with a lot of John Wesley in it. And I said, well, I'm going to talk to Baptists and the Presbyterians. What am I doing getting up this Methodist sermon all the time? Got out there, would you believe it? They asked me to come over to the Methodist institution there, uh, Methodist University, and talk to the preacher boys. And I said to them, I was full of Wesley by that time. I'd read up on him. <laughs> I, I tell you, I said his father and grandfather, great-grandfather, however it was, were all preachers, and he was an Oxford graduate, and a man of prayer and a missionary, but not ready to preach. And you know what happened? May 24, 1738. In that meeting, he felt his heart strangely warm. Now, they've argued about this ever since. Was he really saved then, or did he come into assurance? Uh, he does say that he learned that he, he'd been a servant, but not, didn't realize he was a son. Well, that about says the same thing. But whatever happened to him, he turned the tide of history by the grace of God. And the Church of England, see, the Puritans had all been buried and the Methodists hadn't been born. That was a rough time. And when he got into that picture, things began to happen. And everywhere you went, these new working people had suddenly found out that you could know that, you were, that your sins were forgiven. And they were happy about it. Hear ye deaf, his praise ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold, your Savior come, and leap, ye lame, for joy. You know, they don't have that in our Baptist book. Are they afraid some Baptist would take that literally sometimes? <laughs> Knowing Baptists like I do, there's not the slightest danger in the world. I don't, think. <laughs> I don't know why they're ever so scared to put that, but that's my favorite verse of that. But I can imagine over in London, these working people in one of England's greatest preachers said in a sermon about Wesley, he said, we had become cold, Church of England. We'd lost caught the fire we had. And you came along. He breaks the power of cancer of sin and sets the prisoner free. 
His blood avails for everyone. His blood avails for me. They turned the world upside down. And all because somebody had a heartwarming. Well, they commemorated Alder's Day a few years ago. And a Methodist preacher wrote a piece about it that I had just about worn out carrying around with me. And the Methodist church realized, although a lot of them probably didn't agree with it, that it said a lot and they had it put in their main journal. What happened to Alder's Day? Oh, I, I get that out once in a while for the good of my own soul. He said, we have the idea today that if we can have a sort of a reasonable facsimile of what happened to Wesley, that we can have the same thing Wesley had. He said, there, are no such th- there is no such thing as that. You've got to have what he had, and you won't have it till you believe what he believed. And you'd come to believe that Jesus Christ came down here to do something about our sins, not that he was just a good teacher and all that sort of thing. It's a terrific thing. And... Uh, uh, I'm not thinking about churches that have departed from the faith and over whose doors. Well, I've been in a lot of churches in the last few years. I think they ought to rename it, call it the Ichabod Memorial Church. Because the glory has departed, doesn't have it anymore. And some time ago, a man who's a wonderful, fine Christian, not very flashy, but dependable, and has worked in the staff of a great church for years, came, he was getting a little book out, and he wanted to come talk to me about it, and we sat and talked, and then he got talking about the church, and about the, the good people in it, and he was, he was not critical, but all of a sudden, he dropped his head, said, but we lack something, and I guess it's the Holy Spirit. Now, that was his honest, and uh, no harm meant, but it was an honest confession. No, how many more can say that today? We've got the whole thing organized and we've got it standardized and we've got it correlated and we've got it uh, 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 put in the best possible kind of shape and yet with all this whirlwind of activity not much is going on. Organized, standardized, wheels within wheels. When the power runs low, put on another wheel. Drives, campaigns, pageants, just like this procession here uh, from the pool of Siloam back up to the temple. It was a good thing to do. You look on sadly today and you feel like saying, throw away your pictures of Siloam. What we need today is not to celebrate something, but have it, have the experience of it. What do we like? Well, it must be the Holy Spirit, having begun in the Spirit. Are we now perfect in the flesh? The average person, the average Christian is born of the Spirit and Christ lives within. And we ought to make it evident. Uh, Isaiah 64 said, Oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens and come down. Then he gives three reasons why God isn't coming down. Our sinfulness we have sinned. Our self-righteousness is filthy rags. And then the last one, our sluggishness. There is none that stirreth up himself. But it doesn't stop there. We never have stirred ourselves up more than we're doing today. But we're doing it, stirring up himself to take hold of God. Now, if you're stirring up yourself and doesn't get you hold of God, you're still not getting anywhere. And you must use the means of grace. Stir up the gift of God that's within you, yes. But that means use the means that are available, not just try to stir up your feelings alone. But you must don't sit around and wait for some lovely feeling to come over you sometimes. Jesus said, let him come and drink. That's very practical sort of business. So Jesus wasn't uh, uh, deceived at all. And uh, 
In uh, this feast of the tabernacle, he said, if you want three of them, come to me, uh, hungry and thirsty, and uh, you'll be all right. We can be so near right, beloved, and not have it right. Do you realize you can dot all the I's and cross all the T's and still misspell the word? Ever think that went over? You can get it perfect. The Pharisees were like that. They were masters in theology, read the Bible, the Old Testament, went to church, prayed in public, tithers, lived moral lives. Jesus said sepulchres full of dead men's bones. And I think one trouble today is we've got so many folks who know so much and don't know enough with all that. I heard of a fellow in a hospital some time ago for brain surgery, and I'm telling it like I heard it. Um, he was lying there and had his brain over in another room working on it. Um, story goes that he got up and put on his clothes and left. Never found him for five years. When they did, he was an expert in Washington. <laughs> I don't have a bit of trouble believing that. <laughs> but the wonderful thing is that God can take these nothings, things that are not, I marvel every time I go to Moody Bible Institute, those magnificent buildings, and that wonderful spirit there. And then think about that rugged character that started it. He didn't look like a preacher. Heavy set, bearded, head set down in his shoulders. Didn't have an education. Uh, somebody said the only man I ever heard he could pronounce Jerusalem in two syllables. And he just talked parallel. Got saved, and he didn't know a thing about theology, and they had one of the questions at his first examination, what has Christ done for us? He said, well, I can't think of anything right now. <laughs> Sounds like a fellow theological examiner. He, he couldn't get in several churches. He wouldn't let him in. Finally got in a congregational church. He turned into Moody Church later, later on. But they tell me that once in Indianapolis, uh, they were having a convention on how to attract the masses. Well, he came along, and uh, he and Sankin got up on a goods box downtown somewhere, started talking, and folks began gathering until the policeman said, you're blocking traffic here. Well, somebody said, there's an auditorium down there. They're using the conference. It's empty right now. You go down there while you could use it. They went down and filled up the place with this crowd, and somebody came in, some of these smart guys from the sure enough conference, get out of here, we're having a conference on how to attract the masses. Well, they had it full. <laughs> I said, that's moody for you. And uh, they tell me that Stonewall Jackson, during the Civil War, uh, one night they needed to get across the river quick. And he called his engineers together and said, now we've got to have a bridge over here by morning. Well, they went to work. Got together up there and kind of making a diagram about the thing. And an old blacksmith overheard them, and he got some big rocks and stones together and uh, logs and built a makeshift, but a steady bridge. He came in finally, on the upward towards the day, and said, uh, General, said the bridge is there, said, who are you? Well, said, I heard you say you need the bridge. And he said, 
uh, I, I think the army can walk over on it just all right. Well, Jackson Luke Jason said, I believe it is too. Fella said, where are the engineers? Or oh, said, they're still up in the camp drawing pictures of the bridge. <laughs> We've got a lot of folks that are drawing pictures of everything the way it ought to be done, but they're not getting, they're not getting us across the river. Oh, beloved, if any man thirsts, then come to me and drink. A lot of water has gone under the bridge since I grew up in Catawba County, North Carolina, particularly North Carolina River Free Delivery Route 1, way out there on the road to Shelby, or kerosene lamps and open windows in the revival at night with the dogs barking and the horses neighing and the babies crying. And we had a revival anyhow. Folks got saved in spite of all of that. We stand up and sing, Come ye, wounded, poor, and needy, come to Jesus, ye sick and so And they came. They came. We didn't have any trained counselors. One fellow would be one side of one of those fellows telling him to hold on, the fellow on the other side telling him to turn loose. And he didn't have <laughs> But he got saved. In spite of all that. Sent out some wonderful preachers. And we had women there that knew how to pray for their lost loved ones. I think of old Sister Proops, God bless her, that black bonnet on, stand up and say, pray for my boys. I don't think anybody did much. We thought they were hopeless. But she didn't give up. And the day came when I go down one of them and superintend the Sunday school and two were deacons and two or three grandsons were preachers of the gospel. I said, thank God for an old woman that won't uh, take no for an answer. Kept on praying until God answered the prayer. We need more of that. These books on how to do personal work, they're all right, but uh, we didn't have anything like that in my day. And then a lot of folks got all mixed up in what they tried to say. But today I get in these dull, dry meetings. I'm reminded of that fellow that got hold of the wrong word in his prayer. We're not used to it. And asked him, he said, Lord, if there should be a spark of fire in this meeting, please water that spark. <laughs> <laughs> what did Jesus say do here? I want you to notice, beloved, that it's all built around one of the words, thirst. Thirsting is not just wanting a drink of water. Thirsting is wanting water so bad you can't think of anything but water. It's desperation. If any man thirst. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. We've got a thirsty generation, thirsty for money and thirsty for success. Thirsty for drugs and thirsty for liquor and everything else. But not very thirsty for God. And why does it say they'll never thirst again? Well, that means you'll never have that original thirst because you have found the source. You'll keep on drinking, but you'll keep on being thirsty. The right kind of way, of course, you can't drink enough water on Monday morning to last you all week. You have to go constantly to the source. And that's what that means. That's what it means there. And it says, uh, you found the fountain, and therefore you can rejoice. I wonder how many really have a thirst for the Lord. Uh, there's a little verse that jumped out of the page and grabbed me the other day. He filleth the hungry with good things, but the rich he hath sent empty away. I watch them go out of church many a time, and I say, now there's old Sister Smith. She came hungry this morning, and she got a blessing. Now there goes 
Mr. So-and-so was prosperous and got a lot of money and he didn't know a thing about all this. He just came close, trying to put in his appearance for some particular reason. Takes his Lord's Supper swallow and then cocktail next week with the boss's crowd and everything's okay all directions. No, sir. Why does it say the rich? Well, rich and increased with goods and having need of nothing. I watch people file out of churches like they came in, Lord help them, and yet they can't. You can't go out of this place tonight like you came because you've been exposed to the Word of God. I'm not preaching Shakespeare. I'm preaching the Word of God, and it'll do something to you. And James says, if you don't obey it, you will fool yourself. That's what it says you. They deceive themselves if they don't obey it and obey and take the Word of God seriously. You don't go out the same. Self-deception's a serious thing. And so he said, oh, everyone come to the water. And so he says it today. I wonder how many thirsty people there are here tonight with a deep hunger in your heart for the Lord. Let him come and drink. Let him come to me, thirsting, coming, drinking, believing, overflowing. You can't miss on that. If you start right, thirsting. Well, how can I take care of that? Well, if you, if you mean it and want to, God will create in your heart what ought to be there. Thirsting for God's very best. And then come. Come to me and next thing to do is not wait for me to do something to you. Drink of the water of life freely. The same thing is where James says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That bothered me a long time, but I got over to there where it says, Mark eleven twenty four. whatsoever things ye desire, and when you pray, believe that you get them, that you've got them, and you'll have them. Dr. Torrey said that worried him a long time, the grammar of it, believe you got it and you'll get it. He said, I quit worrying about the grammar and went ahead and believed God. That's a good thing to do about that. If you need wisdom about a thing, and you mean business, and you clear the track, and everything's out of the way, and you're right with God, do what he wants you to do. You have a perfect right to get, uh, to ask God for wisdom about the thing, and then get up and believe you've got it. How else would you ever know? And that's where we fail today. We, the very next words here, come let him drink, and, and it says, he that believeth, and believeth among other things, that you've got what you asked for. From within him shall flow rivers of living water. It's there for you. Don't wait for a feeling. I spent an awful lot of time in my life in the earlier years trying to have a feeling like I read about in some of these books about uh, some uh, Finney and others, and I never could. I'm a shy kind of a boy and not the kind to get all head up over anything much. And I, I didn't see any visions, dream any dreams, and I'd hear some other brother tell about going to the third heaven or something. And they could add a lot to it, you know, the thing that snowballed every time I heard it got bigger than the time before. And I couldn't work up a thing in the world like that. And I think about A.C. Dixon went forward in a meeting and his daddy was preaching. The old doctor, Tommy Dixon, was bent over the boy and said, Clarence, have you said anything? He said, Lord, it can't, uh, I, 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 I'm just uh, looking into Jesus. His daddy said, well, that's what he told you to do, isn't it? What are you waiting for? Just pray, plain, practical, common sense. Ask in faith. And I think of Lynn G. Broughton, that man who was a doctor and then became a preacher, and went forward in a meeting in some of the denominations, some other kind of denomination, and settled it with the Lord 
about being filled with the Spirit, went back and the devil said, you don't feel any different, do you? He said, I said, didn't go down there for feeling, went down there for filling. And that makes a lot of difference when you take God up on his word, all the way through. Uh, don't doubt about it. Shall overflow, that'll be the result. I remember how exercised I was about all this. And when I was in my pastor in Charleston, that old St. John Hotel has now become the lovely Hyatt house there. I'd sit up there and the wee hours and study and read about these fellows. And I was concerned about a different experience of the Lord than I had. And that's, I thirsted. And God knew that I thirsted. And old Granny Russell was living at that time. She sent me a book on deeper experiences of famous Christians. I couldn't finish, really couldn't go to sleep for, because I wanted to read it, and then after that, couldn't go to sleep because I had read it. <laughs> God created my soul of thirst, and I came to him like I did for salvation. I couldn't dream any dreams and uh, uh, hear any angel voices, but didn't say anything about that. It's how to get saved, trust, and believe. Same thing about these other blessings. And God kept his word, and he'll keep his word with you. Jesus said, come unto me and I'll give you rest. And then he turns right around and says, learn of me and you'll find rest. Well, Lord, I thought you were going to give it to us. Yes, but you've got to go to my school and do your homework and uh, study. And it's an obtainment, it's an attainment, both. It grows in your heart, and you grow in that as you keep it up. Go to my school. Glorify Jesus. That's the business of the Holy Spirit. F.B. Meyer used to say, look out for any movement that starts out with the Holy Spirit as the figurehead. He said, when you see that, there's trouble. Because the business of the Holy Spirit is to brag on Jesus and present him and make him real. Because uh, the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And it, and it says here that in drink, and within him, but he must be, his purpose must be to glorify the Lord himself. And so I thank God for what Meyer himself experienced in the English case. He was a quiet type of meditative soul that couldn't work up any ecstasies. And yet his heart was hungry. And he thirsted. One evening in desperation, he climbed a little hill and said, Lord, I can't make myself feel like I ought to. But I do want what makes the difference, and I know that is to be filled with the Spirit. The best way he knew how, he drank in faith. Came down the mountain, and a few drops of rain were falling, and he took it as a token of showers of blessing yet to come. And everybody who knew the life of that great man knows that something did happen. Uh, we must be practical about these things. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a great doctor who was a uh, minister to the royal family over there in his doctor days. And he became a preacher and all the doctor in him was sanctified the glory of God. A, a rugged old Calvinist he was. Billy Graham wanted him to cooperate with him. He said he would if you would quit giving invitations. Well, if Billy gave up invitations, it, I don't know what had happened. But still... Potter John, and he said this, 
got a chapter on depression. Now, he, he went at it both ways, doctor and preacher. And he said, you talk to yourself. Don't let yourself talk to you. Now, you can't be... I said, well, that's the same thing, isn't it? No, it's not. You've got that old Adam nature that you were born with and you still got it. Maybe somebody here thinks yours has been eliminated, but you've got to prove it to me, brother. I'm anybody I think you know, devoid of it. <laughs> but a lot of times when that old nature will tell you all kinds of lies, the devil will use it. You're not saved when you are. Sometimes if you get depressed and nervous and so on, and this, that, and the other, all kinds... Sometimes if you're a preacher, you've done your best and you won't get through preaching until you hear the rustle of a, a devilish wing right beside the old devil say, who are you? Be up there preaching. Run you down, you know. The doctor says, don't listen to that mess. But instead, in the name of Jesus Christ, say in the name of Christ who lives in me, I bid you be gone. I'm going to believe Jesus. Because if you get all tangled up between the two views, then you and in Christ Jesus and this old one, you are in trouble. But we don't have to live that way. God has provided us a way of escape. But I wonder tonight, are, have you ever been thirsty or are you thirsty for God's best in your life and heart? As I look back over all these Bible characters, the difference was every one of them was desperate. Every one of them. They, they weren't the take it or leave it crowd. I don't have to have it. They were desperate. And every one of them got the blessing. And that poor woman that was about to die and had spent all her money on the doctor. Worse instead of better. And I think she got up this morning and said, Well, maybe I'll die today and don't care for thee. And then she heard a noise. She looked out the window. People were running from over there. She said, what's up? They said, Jesus of Nazareth's going through town. Now, she didn't know much about Jesus. She hadn't heard wagon loads of sermons like we have. But she heard enough that she had heard that uh, he healed people. She said, if I could get myself together. I know I've got nothing to wear even decent. I look awful. But I'm going through. And let me tell you, when you get desperate, I don't care how you look, it's not nice for a lady to elbow her way through a crowd and they don't do it except at the department store when there's a sale on But she said, I, I'm going through. Nobody ever got in holy desperation to get in touch with God and fail. You just start in, in the general direction of Jesus Christ as Alexander White told one day. So just throw yourself in the general direction of Jesus Christ. You'll get there. If you mean business. Now, I know she wasn't anything to look at. Remember, she's nearly dead, and she hadn't had a new dress, and I don't know when. Money all gone. Got up there, touched him. Jesus said, who touched me? Poor old Simon Peter. Nearly everything he said in the Gospels was a mistake. <laughs> Bible says, and Peter said, not knowing what he said. He sure did. said, Lord, why would you say this? This crowd is shoving around and bustling like this. Why would you say that? That's Simon Peter. But Jesus said, I felt power, virtue, go out. And then he, he, she had to testify before that crowd. She wasn't much to look at, I'm sure. But oh, she was a different woman. Something new had happened. 
I like uh, you know God does marvelous things even to this day we mustn't quit believing in miracles entirely I think some folks so scared they'll get into extremism they're not going far enough they're running clear off the reservation the other direction scared they'll get out on a limb they've never been up the tree yet I'm not so scared about some extremism that we talk about maybe in some other movie. I'm not far enough uh, the right path on some things to get worried about that. You don't have to do that. You mean business. I like to, I sat in Billy Graham's home. Heard Dr. Bell tell about the healing of their other daughter, nearly dead from tuberculosis. In Albuquerque, she was not right with God. She never married. She was bitter in spirit. She was desperate. She got right with God first. Then she said, maybe God would heal me. She called in a few friends. They said a little prayer. Said to the doctors, I'm not taking any treatment. He called up. Uh, Dr. Bell, long distance, said, what in the world we do? Dr. Bell talked to her a little bit before and said, we'll let her do what she wants to do. She got well, married, normal. Today, I came down that mountain that night on cloud nine. I said, Lord, I like to hear it from two doctors' mouths. It does happen sometimes when it pleases God. Your request must be according to God's word, God's will, your need, and your faith. The four accordings. You can't miss on that. His word, his will, your need, your faith. Every time it says according, it'll be according. Uh, you being according is on that. And it'll work every time. But I wonder before I leave you, anybody slipped in here tonight that's got a desperate need of the Lord? Desperate need of the Lord. Not talking about ordinary needs, but a desperate need. It keeps you from sleeping sometimes. It's about body, mind, or spirit. It's about you or somebody else. Oh, it could be a hundred things. Now, don't try to think it up. If you have to think it up, you haven't got it. But if, if you've got it, you brought it along. It's a desperate need. Let's bow our heads for a moment. I wonder how many, I'm not trying to work up anything, I just want a little information at this point. How many of you can say, Brother Preacher, I have a special, extra, desperate need of God about something I can't handle. I don't have the answer to it yet, but I can say I thirst. I have a desperate need of God. Would you lift your hand if you have that? Yes. I'm not trying to get anybody to say, now when you hold up, if you've got it, your hand will go up. You don't have to beg people on this. Thank you, thank you. Not a desperate need of the Lord. He's here. Two or three gather in his name, he's here. Why don't you just turn this whole thing over to him, lock, stock, and barrel, and say, Lord, I touch thee. I'm, I'm thronging you tonight at this meeting. We've got a throng of people, but like that poor woman, but touch Jesus. I want to touch him. And Lord, with such faith as I have, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. He'll meet your need. And whatever is his word and will, your need, and according to your faith.
sure to be satisfied with that. In the quiet of this moment, Lord, help some dear people here and say, Lord, it's too much for me. I commit it to thee and I leave it with thee. And I thank thee in Jesus' name. Amen.